on, give it up for Jesus real quick. Come on, let's be excited. Uh, I do want to take a moment. I want to highlight our youth ministry, celebrate our youth ministry. As as an individual who has a tween, right? We call her a tweenager. Is that correct? A uh, tweenager. Um, I just call her a world changer. Can I get an amen? Uh, she's, she's a tweenager. Uh, I, I don't know that there is a relationship right now in her life that I am more thankful uh, than her youth pastor. And so I want to encourage you guys, uh, if you got teenagers, go ahead and do what you can to get them here. Uh, you heard the details first and third Wednesday we meet here. It's a great opportunity. Uh, they do have a big event coming up. And so if you've got a teenager and they haven't been able to get connected yet and you're wanting them to kind of get connected but you don't know how that's going to work, they have an event coming up in a couple of weeks, correct? The 12th, 12th of October. Right? Are we, what month are we in? September? I'm getting old, guys. I told you, I got a teenager, all right? Y'all got to hang out with me. Um, and so right after service, Miss Melanie will be out in the lobby to be able to answer any of your questions. You can introduce your students who are out there. Uh, again, what, what, in what our four G's as a church, grow, God, give, and go, um, the third one is give. And so we believe in victory, at victory, that you should give out of your purpose. And so we do that two ways. I want to talk about both of them real quick. First is giving out of your purpose in serving. It's giving out of your gifts and talents. So when you guys come to church, you're met with uh, different teams. You have first impressions team that's got here early and got your coffee ready. They're opening the door for you. They're welcoming you. You've got the V Kids team that are taking on your kids. You've got the production and the worship team that are putting on a worship experience for you. You have our youth ministry team. You have our outreach team, teams that are happening throughout the week. And I want to encourage you, if you're not serving in an area right now, to figure out what that area is and come on and get a part of the team. And you do it for two reasons. First of all, you're going to be able to kind of build your circle, as we say. You'll be able to build some relationships in the church as you serve together. But also, it helps us move along our vision. In a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm not sure the date yet, but I'm going to come in with a sermon. I'm going to share the vision and remind us of what we're doing as a church. And you're going to see that we can't do these things without you. And so I want to challenge you, as Zoe said, growth track's happening after church. If you haven't been, real quick, if you've been to growth track, raise your hand real quick. Let's just get an idea. Look at that. All right, we got a lot of people who've been through growth track, serving on a team. So if, if you didn't raise your hand, this is your Sunday. This is your Sunday to go to growth track, learn more about the church, join a team, and start to build the family. Uh, the second way that we give is through our finances, uh, those that give tithes and offerings. And I always like to take a moment and say thank you to those that are supporting every week what God's doing here inside the four walls as well as outside. You heard about the 5K. It was great. And we not only serve the YMCA, but we also give financially to the YMCA to be able to support the domestic abuse uh, ministry, to be able to support after breast cancer, youth development. And there's so many areas that because of your faithfulness, we're able to give. And the more that our church is faithful in giving, watch this, the more we can do. All right. I want to challenge you a little bit. I met with um, uh, the lady that runs the Nourish Food Bank. We were able to raise $500 for her a couple of months ago. And I was talking about Thanksgiving with her. And she was talking about how because a lot of organizations aren't doing great financially, they're pulling back on their nonprofit giving. And they want to provide turkeys for families that can't have them, but they're not sure they're going to be able to because of finances. And at that moment, I thought I really wanted to kind of step out and commit to a certain level. But I want to encourage you real quick that the more we're faithful in our giving, those of you that say, hey, you know, I just haven't been given for a reason, or those of you that maybe you don't give 10%, you don't tithe, and there's been different reasons. Some of it might be fear. I preached last week on uncertainty. Don't get caught up in that. The best thing you can do for your family, your finances, your life is to put your certainty on God. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so as you're, as you're praying and believing and you begin to, to be faithful in your giving, we're able to step up 
and do a lot. We've already committed to, again, give Christmas presents to families of domestic abuse, uh, you know, families who've experienced domestic abuse as we partner with the Y, and, and I'm getting ready to cast that vision to you, so be ready for that in, uh, in a couple weeks of what I think we're going to be able to give. Uh, our, team, our teaming up with the YMCA last year, we gave Christmas, you ready for this, to 20 families. Woo! Come on, that's incredible. And so I looked at Hodge this week, and I said, I think we can do 40 this year, right? I think we can do 40. You believe in God enough to believe we can do 40? Yeah. All right, all right. Let me, let me chill out a little second. Um, all right, so, so continue to do that. If you haven't been giving in either one of those ways, I want to challenge you to do that. Real quick, I want to share one thing before we get in the Word. When we decided to do our trunk or treat, and we teamed up with the Y, we, we really wanted to bring uh, a trunk and treat to our community, not just our church. We want your kids to be able to do it, but we wanted to be able to announce it to our community. And the Y had done it previously and had seen thousands of kids come through. And, and so we were talking about it and I said, you know what? I really want to do that and I really want to promote it like that, but I'm not 100% sure that we can provide that much candy. That's, that's a, it's a huge cost. And and so then we found a partner that was going to provide the candy, and we got excited about it. And we put it on the date, on the books, and then that provider backed out last minute, and uh, me and Hodge are looking at each other, and we're kind of like, what are we going to do here? And so we were in our board meeting this past week at the YMCA, and I just brought it up to the board members. I said, hey, here's what we're doing. We're teaming up with the Y. We're doing a trunk retreat. We'd like to do it for our community, but that depends on how much candy we get. And one of the board members said, well, how much candy do you need? And I said, all of it. We need all of it. And so she started making it. She said, all right, I'll get with people. I'll get back to you. And all of a sudden, another one of the board members said, well, do you take a check? And I said, yes, sir. I always take checks. You know what I mean? And so he said, all right, I'll get you a $500 check. And then another one of the board members who's always in competition with that board member after it was over walked up and said, put me down for $600. All right? And so listen to me. Just right now, we haven't even got this thing started. We've already got over $1,100 donated to candy for Trunk or Treat. All right? Obviously, because of your faithfulness, we'll be able to give towards it. But here's what I need from you. I need trunks. Right? I can't just be holding all this candy by myself going here and take it. I need trunks to put it in. And so Sunday the 30th, we're going to gather at the YMCA. We're going to line it up with trunks, and we're going to tell our community, bring your kid to a safe place where you can get candy. And so do me a favor. When you leave today, there'll be a sign-up area. Go sign up yourself to provide a trunk. You don't have to pay for the candy. How awesome is that, right? Now, if you want to, by all means, do it. But all you got to do is provide and decorate your trunk, and we get to love on our community. So as you leave out today, sign up. I'm believing for 30 trunks. That's what I'm believing for this year. I think, that, I think we had near that last year or a couple years ago. So I'm believing for 30 trunks at least to be able to provide for our community. Some of the YMCA staff's already jumping in. Some of the board members are jumping in providing trunks. And I just think it's going to be a great opportunity to serve our community. Amen? Amen. Again, that last G about our church is go. We want to go and make a difference, not just here. I love what God's doing inside these four walls, but I also love what we can do outside in our community. Man, that was a lot of energy preaching. I even got to the sermon here. Y'all ready? We can just go home? Y'all good to just go home? No. Thank you. I was wondering if anybody cared. Like, man, I worked really hard on this sermon, and y'all are like, whatever. I mean, football starts in about an hour. Um, all right, if you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we have been in a series called Living Room Leaders, and I've been sharing about this concept that all of us are leaders, no matter who you are. You're leading in the school, you're leading in your home, you're leading at your job, you're leading simply as a Christian. When people know you are a Christian, you are a light according to Scripture, and people are watching us, so we are leading in that capacity. And in a, a, a day like today... 
where it's getting harder and harder to lead, it's important for us to kind of pull back and say, well, when it comes to leading, who are we supposed to model? And we're supposed to model Jesus. And so we've literally been following Jesus through the book of John and different opportunities where he's led. We've been taking principles from that to not only apply to our life so that we lead like Jesus, but to apply to our life so that we live like Jesus. And so last week we talked about how to lead in uncertainty and hopefully you walked away with that whole hope on a rope kind of concept and really were encouraged by that. And so we're going to look in John chapter 6. Before we read, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. This is the story where Jesus feeds a multitude with, uh, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And we're going to, you might be familiar with that miracle, but I'm going to bring to you a couple of things you may not have ever seen before as you studied it. So John chapter 6 verse 1 is what we'll start reading. It says, sometime after this, so after the miracles that Jesus was doing that were recorded in John 5. Now, again, remember when the Bible was written, it wasn't uh, divided into chapters and all that. That was more for our ability to be able to read it better. So right after these miracles that happened in John 5, this happens. Jesus crosses to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, which that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people follow him. And they're following him because they have seen the signs that Jesus has been performing proving that he's the son of God, and one of those has been healing the sick. So then Jesus goes up onto the mountainside, and he sits down with his disciples in a moment of teaching, and a moment of discipleship, and it, the Bible says the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, anytime you see that in scripture, it's giving you that so that the reader could have a context of time frame, because you would know when the, you know, the readers would know when the Jewish Passover festival was. If you don't study theology like that, you might not know, but you can. You can study it and get an idea, and you would know what time of the year this kind of happened. It says when Jesus looked up, so he's talking to his disciples, when he looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him. Now, the Bible will actually say 5,000. That's the number you're going to see. But back then, people only counted men. We didn't, we didn't count women. We didn't count kids. And so when this was originally counted, what theologians say is that there was about 5,000 men, but if you add one child and one wife per man, which there was normally multiple children, you're at at least 15,000 to 20,000 people. So just keep that in mind for as we talk. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd of 15 to 20,000 people coming toward him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where can we get food? Because they're coming to hear the teaching. They're hungry. It's not really a Chick-fil-A anywhere near that we can send 20,000 people to. And so how do we feed these people, Philip? And I think this is interesting. The Bible lets you know that Jesus asked this only to test him. He didn't ask it because he was actually wanting Philip's opinion or help. He was asking it just to test him for, I love this, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus was already aware of what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. He was just including Philip. Can I give you a little side sermon? God is already aware of what he's wanting to do in your life. He's just wondering if you want to be included, right? So then Philip answers him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of them to have a bite. Now, before we get into this, I think it's important to understand the the expression behind what Philip just said. Because when you read it, you just kind of read it, right? Especially if you're reading it, speed reading, it's just like, and Philip said it would take more than a half years of wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, and you move on. But there's an exclamation point there. So I pictured Philip 
I don't know, with a little bit of fear and a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of like, why are you asking me, you know, kind of expression. You're Jesus. You're the son of God. And maybe even that whole deal. Y'all ever been there where like the voice kind of goes high, you know, and there's like cracking a little bit like, I don't know. You know, like there's a little bit of like, ah, ah, everything more than I have a half a year's wages for that amount of bread. Jesus, like, I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's how it sounded. But I just want to give you context that this just isn't like a normal conversation. Like, Philip's freaking out because why is Jesus, the Son of God, asking him what to do in this situation? And I think sometimes we can fall into a place where we're asking Jesus, why me? Or better yet, Jesus, how me? So I want to talk to you real quick just from this idea. Leading with limitations. How are you leading your family? How are you leading at your job? How are you leading at the school you go to? How are you leading as a Christian when you, my friend, are overcome with limitations? I was in the gym on Monday morning, and one of the members of Victory came up to me, and we were just kind of talking about the, the Sunday sermon, and towards the end of our conversation, he said, uh, he said, do you have anything on self-doubt planned in this series And I couldn't help but laugh. And the reason is, just to give you context into my study, I kind of build skeletons of the entire series. And then I just kind of will start feeling, putting meat on the bones as the weeks go. And and, and towards like Sunday night, I kind of will try to decide what I'm going to actually preach on the next week. And so by Sunday night, I had already written down in my notes, leading with limitations. I already knew I was going to talk about this concept because when you read John 6, And the disciples are looking at 20,000 people that they have to feed with a small sack lunch. That is called leading with limitations, right? And it's natural that anytime you're trying to lead, anytime you're trying to be a, a child of God or a parent or a Christian in your workplace or a boss, it's natural that you're going to find yourself looking at your limitations while you're also looking at the job that you have to lead, and that leads to self-doubt. So listen to me. We face limits every day. Every one of us. You face the limit today. You'll face a limit tomorrow. Sometimes it's limits in our body. (laughs) Uh, Friday night, Darla and I went out and celebrated our 16th year wedding anniversary. Come on, y'all. I tricked her. She's been with me for 16 uh, and, and, and we got to the restaurant, and, and as we were getting ready to get in the booth, my legs started shaking. And, and, and it, ha- it wasn't leg day, because I don't do leg day, because that's for sinners, <laughs> Hodge. And I was just like, you know, so I was like, I was telling her, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe, you know, finally we're just, I'm just at that age, you know what I mean? Where everywhere I go, I should expect to be in pain. Um, and then what it was is me and some guys from the church had gotten together and played pickleball. And I don't know if y'all ever played pickleball, but I found out, that's one of them, I found out that, that it, it, somehow it, it does something to your hamstrings, right? And so I just realized there's a limit in my body. Can I get an amen? You know what I mean? Uh, there, there's limits in our minds. And then here's one I face, I feel like I face every day. There's limits in our talents. You know what I mean? When I hear that worship team sing, I go, God, just give me a voice. You know what I mean? I'm like, if I could, if I'm like Ariel or Ursula, if I could just have that voice, I would sing. Oh, I would sing. Um, but, but here's the truth, y'all, that when, when we regularly continue to run into our limitations, eventually our confidence decreases, right? Enters 
self-doubt. Every time that we run up to a situation and we run smack dab into our personal limitations, it's natural that that self-doubt starts to build and our confidence starts to decrease. Even to a point where sometimes we may even begin to wonder if our limitations render us unusable to God. You ever wondered that? Like maybe where you're limited means that God can't use you like God's using other people. Sometimes our limitations are even our life, right? Like we feel like we're not holy enough or good enough or spiritual enough, and we allow those limitations to start getting in the way of whether or not God can use us. It made me think about these disciples. <laughs> think about this. They're, they're with Jesus. The things that they've seen, the things that they've heard, they've watched Jesus do miracles, and they're in this moment, but let's be very honest with ourselves. These disciples are very ordinary, Scripture says it multiple times. They're just normal men. They're not superheroes. Matter of fact, they weren't even uh, very religious people. They were fishermen and, and tax collectors, and they were just a bunch of sinners. And Jesus took them, believed in them, saw something in them, called them to follow him, and now they're in the midst of all these miracles, and they're being referred to as Jesus' disciples as Jesus' right-hand men, as in the way disciple meant back then, is eventually you're going to be like the guy who discipled you. So if you're a Jesus disciple, here's what they're saying. You're going to be like Jesus. And they're very ordinary. The same concept for you and I. It's like, how can I be like Jesus when I can't even keep my house clean? You know what I mean? Like, I can't even discipline my children without raising my voice too loud, and I'm supposed to be like Jesus? And I don't know that there's any better moment than John 6 because the disciples are in the presence of a miracle-working God, and yet they are fixated on where they are limited. So here's my question. Have you ever found yourself in the presence of Jesus but fixated on your limitations? Some of us, even right now, we are in the presence of God in this place. We just sang, holy, holy. Our new scout gave a great biblical example of the train of his robe in the temple. God, and some of us can't not get out of our mind our limitations. I'm the worst of it. I'll sit right here, and sometimes I'll be engaged in worship, and sometimes the devil is just playing this video of all the areas where I'm not good enough. And I can't seem to worship God because all I can think about is what I can't do. It's interesting. And as a result of all of this, because of the way we're thinking, because of our limitations, we will often, watch this, excuse ourselves from God's greater vision because we don't believe that we have enough for God to work with. We will hear what God wants to do, but excuse ourselves from it because we don't believe that God could do it through us. And I think John chapter 6 is for you, and it's for me. And I think it was for the disciples, and I think it was for every Christ follower from Jesus' death and resurrection to the current day. It was an opportunity to be able to see what you can learn between what God's doing in his miraculous power and where you and I are limited and just ordinary people. So I want to give you a couple thoughts. If you're a writer, write them down couple things that you can kind of sketch on your heart as you learn to lead all the areas that you're leading. 
But if you're one of those people that wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and all you see is your limitations, all you see is what's not good enough, not great enough, too short, too tall, too big, too small. If you look at all the failures and all the wrongdoings, and all, if you're one of those people, I'm going to give you a word straight from John chapter 6. And here's the first point. You ready? Our limitations are learned. Our limitations are learned. Let's go back to John chapter 6. Jesus looks to Philip, and when I'm reading that, here was the question I asked myself. Why Philip? Right? Like, there's, there's other disciples. There's 12 disciples, to be exact. Why Philip? Why not Peter? You know, you know why not John? Like, like, why Philip? And better yet, why was Philip so confident that that wasn't going to be enough food? Like, Philip was, you know, that's not going to be enough. Like, he was very clear. He understood that we did not have what we needed. And so I'm going back and forth on this, and here's what I realized. Philip is a fisherman, right? So not only is Philip very familiar with having to feed families, it's what he does for a living. He goes out to catch fish to feed his family and then to sell the fish to feed other people's family. So this concept of feeding people is his life. He's very familiar with it. Not only is he familiar with the concept of feeding families, watch this, he is familiar with needing to feed people and not having enough. I got any fishermen in here? Anybody here fish? You know what it's like to go fishing and go home with not enough, right? Like there's so many times where fishermen go to fish and they don't catch anything. I went fishing one time in my entire life. I went with... Man, okay. Well, let me finish the story. And I went with my sister, and my sister caught 21 fish. I caught zero. Okay, listen, y'all. We're going to have to work on our responses. I need to be encouraged about my limitations. You know what I mean? Y'all are failing so far at this. Like, so, so again, Philip knows, he understands what it's like to arrive to a situation where what he needs is not what he has. He's learned it. He's learned it. And what Jesus is about to do is to help him unlearn those limitations. Like Philip, similar to Philip, we too often let our experiences determine our expectation. What we've experienced in the past determine what we expect in the future. And here's the truth. The truth is that at some point, we have all allowed life to teach us our limitations. I'll give you some examples. You are not born out of the womb knowing your limitations. As a kid, you didn't know that you couldn't touch the stove after it had been on, right? You learned that. How did you learn it? You got burned. You touched the stove and you got burned. You didn't know that. You weren't born knowing that. You had to learn it. Like, oh, oh okay, I, I can't touch that. You learned that you couldn't fly, <laughs> right? Remember you put the towel around your neck and you were like, you were Superman and you went and jumped off the couch and right when you were, you were about three feet in the air because you ain't that big and all of a sudden you realize like, I can't fly and you hit the ground. You learned that. You know what I mean? You learned you couldn't talk back to your mama. Okay, now we're touching back. Okay, you sinners. See, see, you didn't know that. 
but mama gave you the look? You know what I'm talking about? My mom never even spoke a word to us. She just looked at us. And it was like she looked straight through into my soul. And like I knew at that moment, like, okay, I can't say that. You know, like, like you learned it. My kids, they both were born believing they could beat me up. <laughs> they were convinced of it. Some of, sometimes they still think it. So I have to reteach them. You know what I mean? I got, I got to remind them that they can't. I got to pin beta to the ground with a pressure point and just remind her, like, don't test me. You know what I mean? The other day, Casey Ray was wrestling with me, and I, was, I wasn't paying attention. Like, I was just kind of, I was actually enjoying laying still for a moment. And she, like, thought she had me down and pinned me. And I was like, all right, are you done? And she was like, ah, I'm finishing you. And I said, okay. And I just stood up with her on my shoulder. And I just walked in the bedroom, and she's like, ah, you know what I mean? Like, I had to teach her her limitations. We think what we are taught. And often what we are taught is a lie. And that lie, we become loyal to the lie, and then the lie becomes a limitation. Let me rewind. We're told a lie, we believe the lie, and we become loyal to it, which means we start to speak it even when the person who taught us is gone. And once we become loyal to it, it becomes our limitation. I'll give you some examples. I'm too short. Somebody told me, not me specifically, I mean, I am short, but bear with me. Someone told us we were too short. We believed the lie, started living in the lie, and the lie became a limitation. Right? I'm, I'm too small. I'm too big. I'm too uneducated. Uh, you know, I'm this color. I'm that color. I was born this way. We are taught a limitation. That is a lie, but it becomes, we become loyal to the lie because we trusted who taught us it. Or, or let's be honest, culture taught us it, and we become loyal to the lie, and now the lie is a limitation. When we listen to anyone but God, anyone but God, in regards to our limitations, we will believe that God can do great things, but we will crop ourselves out of the picture. This is what's happening with Philip and Jesus. Y'all, go with me for a second to this scene. Jesus is sitting there beside Philip. So on one side of Philip is Jesus. On the other side of Philip is 20,000 hungry people. Okay? Here he is sitting in between Jesus. But the problem was Jesus asked him what he wanted to do about it. So Philip naturally, instead of thinking about who he was sitting beside, he started kind of self-reflecting on him and immediately what he could not do became the center of attention. So he's looking at his limitations, he's looking at Jesus, but he's focused on himself. And so he crops himself out of the picture. I don't know about you, Jesus, but I don't have enough to feed him. And all of a sudden, something came to me so real that is a word for you. You ready? Watch this. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God, right? It says that the word of God manifested in Jesus. He was the walking word of God. So watch this. Philip is sitting in between the word of God and his limitations. Do you catch it? The tension that we're seeing in John chapter 6 is what the word of God says and what he sees as his own limitations. 
I'm preaching way better than y'all are paying attention. All right? Listen, he's sitting in between what the word of God says and what he sees. It's what? It's what he sees versus what he knows. It's what he's learned versus what he's learning. When we're coming to church regularly, we are learning what the word of God says. And the tension that you and I face when we walk out of this building is tension in between what the word of God says and what we see as our own limitations. I'll give you some examples in case you don't believe me. For all the skeptics in the back, just kidding, y'all are, y'all are into it. It's just something you say. David is listening to the word of God, and the word of God calls him a king. But he is standing in front of a giant, right? He's a small man. King Saul said, you can't even fit my my armor. You shouldn't be out here. You're you're but a boy. So he's got all these limitations that culture and the world has given him. And then he's got what the word of God says. Moses, the word of God told him that he was going to lead an exodus, exodus of his people to freedom. But he has a stuttering problem. So he's got his own limitations, and then he's got what the word of God says. Abraham, the word of God told Abraham he was going to have children, but he's an old man. Not only did culture, but science says that he's limited, right? That's my PG way of explaining that to you. Science says he's limited, so he's in between the word of God and his limitations. The disciples... The word of God says that they will do even greater things than Jesus. But yet culture says they're just ordinary people. The Bible says that you and I will do even greater things than Jesus. Now, before you get prideful, listen to me. That means because at the time Jesus was focused on a centered area. But as the Holy Spirit goes out and Christ is up there, now we can impact uh, uh, Antioch and Smyrna and Murfreesboro and Laverne while other people are impacting California. You see what I mean? So we're doing even greater things. But listen to me. God has called us to lead our homes, to lead our schools, to lead our communities, to lead like Jesus. But we are caught in between the tension of what the word of God says and what we see as our limitations. Every Sunday you're in this tension. You know how I know it? Because I write a whole sermon to stand up here and tell you, go out and walk in the power of God. Be free. Walk in grace. Preach the gospel. Invite your friend. Read your Bible. Pray. And as you walk out, you've got all these instructions that are from the word of God. But as you get in your car and close the door, limitations hit. Well, you know, I don't what about this. Well, I don't know if I got time and Man, I know he says this, but I don't read the Bible as much as he does. You know, I mean, like, boom, limitation, limitation, limitation. And we're stuck in between what we've learned and what we are now currently learning. What we know versus what we hope. God is far less bothered by our limitations than we are. Somebody needed to hear that. God's not bothered by your limitations. God is not in heaven right now going, oh, stink. Man, I called her to live for me, and I forgot to give her. Oh, I'm going to have to pick somebody else. <laughs> like, there's not this moment where he was creating you, and he, you know, going through the checklist, and he's like, oh. Hey, did we forget to put, you know what I mean? Like, like he didn't, it's not that concept. Yeah. He's not overwhelmed by it. He is completely 
aware of it. He know. I'll really blow your mind if you're a Bible reader. Guess what? He made you, and whatever you think is left out, he left out on purpose. I was making cheese dip for Darla one time, back when she was vegan, or not vegan, sorry, when she was an American, and um, I wanted to make homemade white cheese dip. And, and there was, you know, different ingredients we didn't have, so I just started adding stuff that was in the same family. You know what I mean? And when it got done, it was orange. And I was so confused because it's called white cheese dip. That's how you label it. So it was weird that it was orange, and it was terrible. It was terrible because there were some things that were supposed to be left out. You know what I mean? Like, like the ingredients I used were in other different cheese dips, so I thought it was. But those were the things that were supposed to be left out. What if God purposely left some stuff out because he needed you to be who you are so that he could do what he wanted to do through you? All right? All right, look. Y'all ain't going nowhere because I'm fired up, all right? So tell V-Kids we're about two hours. We'll be good. Listen to me. Listen to me. Y'all get mad. We get mad, right? We get mad when it's like, but, but I don't have that. Look at that person. I'm not like them. One time, Adam and Eve, when, when, when the devil came and, and, and tempted them and they ate from the garden of the tree and, and knowledge and evil, uh, all of a sudden, the Bible says they realized they were naked. See, in Genesis, when you start reading, it says they were naked and everything was good, right? There's no comparison. Everything was good. They went and ate the, 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 the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden, they realized this was bad, so they hid from God. So God comes looking for Adam and Eve, and he can't find them. Now, the Bible lets you know he knows where they are, but he's a good father. So he's like, where are you? You know what I mean? Y'all know how you play hide and seek with your children? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where you are. Yeah. They come out. They say, sorry, we were hiding. He said, why are you hiding? We were naked. He said, who told you that? Who told you that? I'm talking to somebody right now. You were told you were limited and that you don't have something you were supposed to have. Who told you that? Because the last time I checked, God don't make mistakes. So if God didn't want me to have it, by God, I ain't supposed to have it. Maybe I'm not supposed to have it because you have it and God wants us to be together to be able to make an impact. Because what you don't have, I have, but what I don't have, you have, and God said if you'll come together, but we're all upset because we don't have it. We don't have it. I don't want to do it because I don't have it. I'm limited. No, you're not. Can you be better? Of course. Read a book. You're not limited. God asked me to do this, and I don't think, God asked me how am I going to do this, because God don't know how I'm going to do this. You know, Philip was thinking, God don't even know. He asked it to test him, to see if he knew. Y'all, I'm so, I'm, look, oh my gosh. To, to, to see if he knew that what he didn't have was irrelevant because of who he was with. What I don't have don't matter because of who I'm with. Well, well, I can't raise my kids right because I wasn't raised in a good home. It doesn't matter what you didn't have. Who are you with now? Well, I got put in a job and I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure I'm qualified. It doesn't matter what you got. Who are you with? Who gave you the job to begin with? 
Who gave you the kids to begin with? God must have known that you had what you needed to do what he called you to do or he wouldn't have called you to do it. I think I might be preaching to myself. Maybe that's why I'm more fired up. Y'all are like, I didn't know he was going to yell at us the whole time. All right, so let's move on or y'all won't be able to eat lunch. So number one, our limitations are learned. So we got to unlearn those limitations. We got to be able to seek God and seek the word of God and allow the word of God to tell us where our limitations are. Because I wrote something down this week. I didn't put it in my sermon. This is why this stuff happens because I have all this stuff that I can't make it into a 45-minute window. You're like, he preached for 45 minutes? Shut up. It'll be an hour and 15. All right? <laughs> Listen, when you embrace the word of God, you have to embrace your limitations. Because the word of God says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So for me to be able to embrace the word of God, it means I have to embrace my limitations. For me to read the word of God means I'm going to look at a mirror and realize I'm not perfect. The Bible says it's like a mirror. The one who looks at it walks away and forgets what they look like. We're supposed to look at it go, I got limits. Walk away and say, God, help me with my limits. So point two, embrace your limitations. The ones that God's given you, the one that somebody lied to you about, unlearn those. The ones that God's given you, embrace them. John chapter 6, let's go back for a second. The Bible says that then another one of his disciples, so not Philip, but Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, speaks up, not Andrew who leads production, but Simon Peter's brother, probably same Andrew. Um, he spoke up and he said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves, small bread, and two small fish but how far will they go among so many? So watch this. Peter, I'm sorry, Andrew, embraces their limitations, right? Like this is, he even says it. He's like, I don't have a lot, but this is what we have. Like, like you can have what we have, but it's not a lot. I, I don't expect it to do much. This is all God's asking. God's asking for our ability to come and say, you can have what I have. It ain't a lot. Like, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not offering up a lot. But you can have it. Look, his certainty isn't quite there. His confidence hasn't caught up yet. But his willingness to be used by God is wide open. You can give your life to God before you are confident that God wants to use it. You got to be willing to just say, here, I don't know. Look, do you know what I did? Do you know who I am? Do you know what college life was like? God, I don't know how you're going to use me. God says, just give me you and I'll use you. Some of the greatest people that have ever impacted my life spiritually were people who pre-Christ were some rough folks. But because of who they are now, I see the power of God in their life, right? Our limitations become strengths when they are embraced instead of ignored. When you can embrace it, well, I guess I am short. <laughs> I guess I am tall. I guess, I guess I won't ever be playing basketball professionally. You know what I mean? I guess I am old enough that one game of pickleball makes me not be able to walk for a day. Like, like I, just, I just embrace it. Once I embrace it instead of ignoring it, then all of a sudden I can start seeing those limitations as strengths. Admitting, some of y'all need to hear this. And admitting our limitations is not fear, it's not doubt, and it's not even a lack of faith. 
it's actually one of the clearest signs that we have faith. It means we are secure enough in who he is to admit who we are not. You are secure enough in who he is that you can admit who you are not. We got to celebrate a couple friends of ours that are getting married. They had an engagement party, and it was like a Sunday night, I believe, if I'm correct. And I don't normally eat on Sunday nights because I pig out after church. And so we go to this party, and I was, everybody's eating food. A bunch of our friends are there, and I wasn't eating any food. But I saw these brownies, and they were in this glass jar, and they had like the, 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 the frosting on the top and had these sprinkle of cookie crumbs on it. And I just kept hearing from people, you got to try them brownies, you got to try them brownies. And I said, well, normally I don't indulge in sweets, but I will, you know, out of the kindness of my heart, bring praise to the young lady that made, you know what I mean? So I ate all of them. And I went in there, and they were so good. I was eating them, and they were so good. And, and I looked at one of the girls at the party, and I said, who made these brownies? And they said, Jennifer Dunn, who is a friend of mine. They go to church, Jennifer and her husband, Tommy. I said, Jennifer Dunn made them. And she said, yeah. So Jennifer Dunn's outside in the backyard. If she's listening to this message, hey, Jennifer. And so I walked outside, and I said, Jennifer! And she said, what? And I said, what? You got to give me the recipe for those brownies. I'm on the porch. She's down in the grass. And she says, I'll sell it to you. And I'm like, cool, I'll pay whatever. She goes, pay $5.99. And I thought, that's an interesting amount. And all of a sudden, she started smirking, and I put it all together. She bought the brownies from Publix. She took them out of the plastic container, put them into the jar, crumbled up some cookies, put on, and presented them like, I made these. Right? So here's what I love about it. She just embraced the fact that she wasn't about to make no dessert for this party. And she went and bought it, and she wasn't mad about it. And not only was she not mad about it, she's screaming in the backyard, I bought them at Publix. And I'm like, hallelujah. I have now bought six packages of these brownies, all right? They're good. We're so quick to curse our limitations. But what if our limitations are a gift? What if it's a gift from God? What if God gave it to us for a reason? What if instead of cursing him for him, we started praising him for him? Thank God. Thank God I'm tall. Because now I can get stuff out of the cabinet. And that will help me win a wife. You know what I mean? Like, like, like thank God for these limitations. Our limitations far more than our abilities remind us to return to our source of strength. Our abilities very rarely bring us back to God. Our abilities have a tendency to make us start praising ourselves. I'm so good. Our limitations are what bring us back to our source of strength. When we embrace those limitations, it draws us closer to the one who has none. So let me ask you a question. What sounds better? The feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the fifteen? Which one sounds better? Because here's the truth. All of us could find a way to take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 15 people. You know what I mean? It would look like one of those real rich meals where you get like a cracker and a piece on it. Like, yeah, it's, it's you know, here, just enjoy it. $10,000. Enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, like there'd be a way to do it. But 5,000 people? That's different. Which one sounds better? Peter walked on water? Or Peter got the lifeboat, put it off to the side, inflated it, got in it, and rode to Jesus. Right? Which one sounds better? 
Abraham had a kid at 80 or Abraham had a kid at 23? Right? Like, kind of an easy, I understand I'm asking rhetorical questions, so that's why apparently you're not participating with me. But like, one gives God praise. The other one is just kind of attainable by us. You know what I mean? The, the very... The very thing, please catch this, the very thing that makes us limited is what God uses for leverage to be able to glorify his name. What you think is a limitation is God used as leverage. Remember David's small, right? It's a limitation. All David's got is a slingshot. It's a limitation. But when David takes out Goliath with a slingshot, it gives God glory. Abraham, he's 80-something years old. His wife, they can't have children anymore. It's a limitation. But when they have children, it gives God glory. Moses can't speak. It's a limitation. But when God uses him to lead an exodus, it praises God. Your limitation isn't a limitation. It's leverage for a move of God. Your limitation is the area that God is pointing out and picking out that he can use so that he can receive the glory. When we don't like limitation, it's because we want the glory. But if we want God to have the glory, we can embrace the limitation because God uses the leverage. I was in a conversation a while back with a guy. I was talking about Victory Church. And he was like, so tell me a little about your church. I was like, man, we moved. Memphis, we didn't know anybody. We moved here from Memphis. We planted in 18. I said, man, we were doing great. Had all this momentum. COVID closed us for a year and spent 21 kind of trying to climb back up. And then God blessed us with a building. And we, we just now got in the building and the church is growing. And he said, uh, he said, how big is the church? I said, I, yeah, I said, you know, it depends on whether or not people want to wake up in the morning. I said, but uh, I said, I'm about 150. And he went, oh, it's a small church. And when he said that, I immediately was like, dang, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like, part of me felt defeated, kind of like, you know, because darling, I planted it. You know, we, we started it. And so, I don't know, there's just moments where you want something to kind of reflect that I guess you're doing an okay job. And so, so just for a moment, I just kind of, I remember I just hung my head. And I was like, yeah, I started kind of making excuses. You know, I was like, well, yeah. And he goes, no, 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 no. He said, hold on. He said, you misunderstood me. I said, well, no, you, you said it's a small church. I get it, bro. Like, I get it. It's a small church. We're not 3,000 people. I said, give us till next year, then we'll be there. But, you know, just like, I understand, I get it. And he said, no, no. He said, he said, that's not what I was saying. He said, you've already got a building. I said, yeah. And he said, and you're not in any debt. And I said, yeah. And he said, and you got a certain amount of money put aside in case of emergencies. And I said, yeah. And he said, you've already given over $20,000 this year to other communities and outreach. I said, yeah. And he said, and you, and you're, he said, you're so known in the community. He said, your church is making such an impact in community. He said, that just blew my mind because I thought you must be bigger if you're having that kind of impact. He said, so when I said you're a small church, it wasn't as of an insult, it was out of surprise. Here's what he was saying. He was saying what you're downcast on because you think it's a limitation, right now it's leverage for God. That it looks 
bigger and better on God's side because if all of a sudden our size is what people expect to match our impact, it must be us. But if we are exceeding those expectations, if we are far out above what culture says, then we must be operating by the miraculous power of God. So I'm telling you, when somebody tells you something and you go, yeah, pick your head up. It's not limitation, it's leverage. It's leverage. God's doing and getting ready to do more through you. And he needs you to see that it's impossible with your own power and strength. Because when it happens, you won't try to steal the glory. You have everything that you need to do all to do all that God is calling you to do right now. If God needed you to have more right now, watch this, then you would have more. And I heard this saying recently, and it really stuck to me, and I want to challenge you. Stop telling God you'll do big things for him. Start being willing to do the small things. Everybody wants, I want to do big things for God. I want to do big things for God. God is not looking for anybody to do big things for him. God wants a bunch of people who's willing to do small things so that when those small things become big, God gets the glory. It lit a fire under me about our church, that God would put us where he put us. I had somebody tell us, you can't move that church to Antioch. I said, well, I was reading the Bible, and it said Paul went to Antioch, so I assume that's what Christians are supposed to do. They said, that church won't grow. I said, I don't worship you. I wish I could tell you I said that with confidence. I, didn't. I was scared of death, too. But again, we're in a season. We're in a season where I believe, I'm going to share more about this later, where I believe God's getting ready to do something big. Notice what I said. God's getting ready to do something big, but he's looking for something small that's willing to be used by him. And I'm not putting definition on it because I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you right now that you are that small thing that if you'll open your life up to, God will work through. So real quick, sorry, I got to hurry up. Got way too, way, enjoyed this way too much. Here's the biggest problem. Because if you were raised in a legalistic religion, depending on how culture raised you, God's calling for your life and your limitations, all you see is like this big gap. So like you're here, there's a big gap, and there's God's calling on your life. The gap between our limitations and God's calling on our life is filled with grace. Let me show you real quick, John 6. Watch this, watch this. There was something that if you're not careful, you'll just read right over. For years, I read it, but I, I just kind of read right over it. And this year, or, or, or this time when I was studying it, it like jumped out. It was like two feet big on the page. Watch this. So then Jesus said, have the people sit down. This is John writing. It's how John remembers it. Have the people sit down. So he had them sit down in groups of 50, and he was going to teach them discipleship. We'll give them bread. They do these 50. That's what he was going to teach them. And John goes on to say there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did it through the disciples. The disciples did it. But did you see? I don't know if you caught this. John's writing this. This is interesting to me. John's writing. what He, he, he wasn't writing it as it happened, in case you're wondering. 
When you read a story in the Bible, it wasn't being written as it happened. It was all being written post-Christ's resurrection because nobody knew that Jesus was who he really was. So if Jesus is not who he really is, none of this matters. But after Jesus resurrected, now all of a sudden these stories matter. So, so John's writing down. He's like, and then Jesus told him to sit down, and he grabbed the bread. But, but notice that at some point, John remembered that while he was there, he looked around, and here was his observation. There was plenty of grass. Isn't that an interesting observation? Of all the things he could remember, that Jesus had the men set down, that Jesus took the bread and offered it to God and, and worshipped him, and then he distributed it to the disciples, that John would remember plenty of grass? When you hear plenty of grass, what, what do you see? You just kind of see like fields of grass, you know, like, like plenty of grass. Can I tell you what I think? might have been happening in John's heart. John's sitting there realizing that they've got this huge responsibility and they don't have enough food for it. But he also realizes that he's sitting with the miraculous son of God. So here's what I think he remembered. When it comes to the food, which is our responsibility, there's not enough. When it comes to the grass, which is God's responsibility, there's plenty. Did you catch that? They weren't responsible for laying sod down. You know what I mean? God was responsible for grass. Read Genesis. So here's John going, wait a minute. What's my responsibility is lacking. What's God's responsibility is plenty. I came to preach to you this morning that what is your responsibility may be lacking, but what is God's responsibility is plenty. Here we go. You ready? In order for God to use me with my limitations, there will have to be plenty of grace. For God to use me, for God to use you, with all your limitations, there'd have to be plenty of grace. Anybody in here happy for plenty of grace? Anybody with me? I needed plenty of grace. Anybody in here, you needed plenty. I need plenty. Plenty. I watch my kids, I mean, they need plenty of butt whoopings. You know what I mean? Like, I needed plenty of grace. I bought those brownies. Tell you about the Jennifer made six times, but don't judge me. And my kids like them too, so, you know. The other day, me and Veda, my oldest, were out, we were talking about dinner plans, and I said, hey, after you eat that, you know, you'll be able to eat a brownie. And she looked at me, she said, no, I can't eat a brownie. I said, what do you mean? She said, we don't have any more. I said, no, we do, we do. She said, no, we don't have any more. She had a friend spend the night over the weekend, a couple weekends ago. She said, no, me and Brooke, we, we, we ate the last two. I said, yeah, but while you were asleep, I went to the store and got more. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. So for those of you that thought you used up all the grace while you were sleeping, he went and got more. Plenty of grace. Whatever you think is your limit, plenty of grace. But you don't know, plenty of grace. Whatever you think. What, my past 
plenty of grace. Not just enough, not a lot, plenty, which means he covered you and had 12 boxes of leftovers. You know what I mean? Like plenty of grace. Do me a favor. Everybody stand. I'm going to finish talking to you while you're standing. Plenty. Plenty of grace. Plenty of grace. Man, let me go ahead and invite you up. I want to do two things real quick. Kyle Zoe, you, you don't mind coming down for prayer? I'm do two things. Number one, if you're in here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you don't even know how that process looks like and you're curious as to what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe, you know, you, you knew it growing up, you were taught kind of a different theology. Grace is new to you. I'd like to encourage you. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is saved and you shall be saved. I believe in my heart that I'm a sinner and that Christ died for my sins. And we would love, absolutely love to explain that to you and walk with you. And so Kyle and Zoe are going to be to my left and my right. And if that's you, when I get done and the band will go back into a song, I want to invite you to come down. I invite you to come down. Let us pray for you. Let us be able to walk this thing out with you. Second, if you are a believer and you are in here, understand that whatever you think is a limit on your life is leverage for God to move in your life. So start embracing it. Start walking in it. Start letting God operate through you. Read that Bible, believe what it says, and go out and do it. Amen? God's calling you, not just here. He's calling you here to make an impact, but he's also calling you in your family and in your home for every couple that you don't know quite about how your marriage is going to work because we're limited. God says, I got plenty of grace. Every parent, you don't know how you're going to parent because these kids are bad. Listen, plenty of grace. I'm looking for a job. I'm in a new job. I don't, plenty of grace. We're trying to have kids and we, plenty of grace. Plenty of grace. Father, I thank you right now for every person in this room. I pray for those that have not given their heart to you yet, that that would happen today. I pray for those who are believers that have been told a lie by the enemy. That they weren't enough. But they need to unlearn that limitation and understand that you're using it for your glory. Father, right now, let your Holy Spirit move in this place. If you're in here and you just need prayer in general today for anything, I'm going to encourage you in a moment to come down. Father, right now, you're holy. Speak. I can't change lives. I can preach your word, but Father, you impact and change lives, and I pray you do that this morning. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.